We were actually in sync that time. Yeah, I, I do believe so. That's the first time in 170 issues. Yes, sir. That is correct. Mm. Welcome to issue 170. How you doing today, man? Uh, doing all right, man. Freaking another day, another dollar, another wall, another tower. Mm. Looking forward to this weekend. We got to go to Ed's. We got to go to Vans. I, I actually want to go to Vans. Um, going to Muse. Kapow. Um... And however, there's also a um, a different type of store we're gonna hit up because apparently the gentleman that runs that place is a baller. We're talking about. I'm gonna look it up while we're talking. You say that, but it's the giant. It's the giant gold dome by Muse Comics. I don't think it's gold. It used to be gold. It's gray. Maybe it used to be, but it's not anymore. It's culture something. Culture oh, cave, maybe? It, I think it was culture cave. I had a flyer somewhere here, but um, I'll find it. Look at, look at us being all well-prepared and whatnot. Ah. Jamie, look it up. But we do. That's what we need an intern. A very unpaid intern. Very, very unpaid intern. <laughs> he pays us. You're lucky you're here. In Tarnhausen. Well, tell us about his experience while I look up the name. I don't know. Yeah, I just went over there grabbing, uh, looking for, I'm kind of currently collecting the uh, volume two of New Mutants since I have all of volume one and uh, only 13 issues. I think now after today, I currently have 10 with 11th coming in the mail. But I happened to strike up a conversation with the owner. And uh, not only was he good enough to be like, hey, I think I've got those at home. I'll bring them in and I'll hold them for you because I am a multi-time repeat customer. We are. Freaking out. We ended up having a uh, conversation about X-Men because, you know, of course we did. And I, uh, I happened to put out a little humble brag about having, um, you know, giant size X-Men on through the complete first volume. And this fool has to turn around and one-up me and be like, I've, I'm missing six issues from the entire run. So I was like, hmm, well, you win. No, oh, you're 100% correct. This is Culture Cave, Vintage Goods, 719-300-7715. Give them a call, a little bit of everything. They buy stuff, and they will find it for you. And This is true. Let's give him the address here. Actually yeah, no, we ended up getting in. We got into a conversation about uh, apparently he, you know, has elderly gentlemen coming by all the time, dropping off rando books, and you never quite uh, never quite know what he'll what they might drop off. He said he had uh, a Spider-Man four, a Spider-Man six, 
Spider-Man 2 at one point. And these guys were just dropping them off. Hmm. So it's always worth the... It's worth definitely checking out because you never you never know what you're gonna find in those little, you know, those kind of shops that don't necessarily specify in comic books, no, but they, they have comic books. You can find some real uh, real gems there. We had a great time there, man. Um, unfortunately, uh, Mr. Morales and I are terrible with names, um, but the uh, owner and his son were stand up gentlemen to us. They were they showed us around the store, freaking. I got, what did I leave from there? Like, I got some Chaos Comics. I got, uh, uh, Violator by Depeche Mode for, like, three bucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Almost bought a Melissa Etheridge shirt there. Can't believe you didn't. I couldn't because it, she stole Lou Diamond Phillips' wife. Oh, did she? Yes, she did. I didn't. I didn't know that. She she stole his wife. They had a kid, and that child was the um, the surrogate was uh, David Crosby, who just uh, recently died, unfortunately. But I will never forgive her for hurting Lou Diamond Phillips because that's Richie. Got old La Bamba. So Richie. Mm. But you still buy those shirts there. They had some really cool things there, like um, this old school Vincent Price, like shrunken head decorator. Basically, it was like a, a couple of sticks that you put a apple on, and it came with wigs, mm-hmm. and then it had little carvers. So you just let the apple get old. It showed you how to carve an apple. It was gorgeous. <laughs> I'm sad. That's hilarious. I hadn't I hadn't seen that. I'm sad I didn't buy it. Hmm. You should be. But yeah, so they hooked you up with some uh, some new mutants. Uh, this time was new mutants. Uh, picked up a couple of Marvel fanfares, which had the first appearance of Iron Maiden, who was the mother in the Black Widow movie. Very nice. Um, what else did I picked up there? I got the first appearance of um. I can't remember what his last name is, but it's Calvin, the black, the black Superman. I was able to pick up his first appearance there, um, or his uh, first cover appearance. So you got a Chinese Superman. You got a Chinese Superman, a white <laughs> Superman, and a black dude Superman. That's awesome. Yep. Exactly. But yeah, no, I picked up a bunch of random, rando issues that kind of struck my fancy at the time. But yeah, nah, man. If you went over there, picked up a uh, like New Mutants number four, and it was you know, a good day, man. Got a conversation with the gentleman, you know, and freaking, you know, you get those mutual interests going. You kind of start talking things up, and freaking, you know, like I said, he's willing. He said, if he can find those other two issues, he's going to hold them for me. That way, I'll have uh, volume one and volume two of New Mutants complete. So that'll be awesome. Oh, that's awesome, man. I, I had a brief conversation with him at the uh, Chapel Hills Mall when we went to um, that little mini Comic Con they had there a couple months ago, and um, right, mm-hmm. before, right before Christmas. And he was just a stand-up gentleman. I uh, kept his flyer, and you know we hit that place up. And I gotta say, I've been to a million thrift stores. This isn't mm-hmm. a thrift store; it's a specialty shop. I mean, like I remember seeing like uh, they had like uh, you could buy Spawn on VHS there. 
the the animated series. Yeah. And they had oh, okay. some they had some cool action figures. They had some amazing like a sh- a shirt organization there, like concerts, WWE, like. But my favorite part about it was how clean the place was. CDs, records. Mm-hmm. The the place was spotless. Remember, it smelled like pine saw. Yeah. I've never been to a store that clean. And um, the the gentleman, like it was, the, I believe the son. Um, he was checking you out, uh, cashing you out, and freaking. All of a sudden, I realized that they've got old issues of kung fu, and I'm like, oh man. Like I was so close, man. <laughs> like uh, old kung fu magazines, man. Those were the coolest things, man. And uh, I, I really hope they they thrive and succeed. And I gotta say, they got the cojones to uh, set up shop right next door to one of the best comic stores in the state. Yeah, man. Nah, yeah. Right across there from Muse and freaking. Uh... Which actually kind of brings me into an off-topic topic that we uh, we discussed personally off-screen a while, a couple days ago. Sure. I went in there, I went to Muse the other day, and freaking picked up a couple of rando books. I picked up my, uh, I get my Marvel pulls there for the most part. I get my Spawn and, and Marvel in, pulls there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, went in there, and freaking, normally it's, you know, there's a couple people there, nothing crazy. But I go in there that day. And freaking, it was insane. There must have been 50 oh. to 70 people there. And freaking turned out it was because um, they had premiered a new deck for uh, Magic the Gathering. Yep. And, you know, not being an avid Magic player, I didn't understand exactly what that meant. <laughs> so I, was, uh, I called you and told you, and you kind of gave me the skinny on the situation. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. The dice is special. Yeah. Everything like it's like a couple of decks and a small little starter deck. It's not like a um, if you go like play um, any sort of tournament. It's it's very specialized. There's always a special card in there. There's always a, a nice little box that comes in. But I mean, Muse hooks it up with comics. I don't know anything about their financials, but I can I can ninety nine point nine percent guarantee they make their money from Magic. Because they've got a devoted like really? that is, the, I have been to a couple of Friday Night Magics, and that mm-hmm. one is hands down the best, and it is one hundred percent because of George, uh, George, really? co-owner. So like he will actually he'll help set it up, and he's got a lot more help now than it was like ten years ago when I first started. And wow, man, mm-hmm. I was thinking about it the other day, man. I've been a loyal Muse customer since September of twenty twelve. So eleven, and I'm uh, getting on eleven, and um, mm-hmm. not only will he play because he loves the game, he will okay. give you fair prices on if you want to sell your your set. He will give you fair prices, even fairer prices if you want store credit. But during gameplay, you can interrupt him and ask him, show him a card, and ask him, "Can I do this?" And he'll say yes or no. Or wait for wait two hands on that. Like you, we've got like a premier ref. Like he's refed some of the the bigger uh, um, Magic the Gathering tournaments. Uh, but okay, he's he's one of the most soft spoken, uh, gentle, um, nicest men I've ever met. And um, it like 
the success of that store is very, very hinged on him. And if you're going to do Magic the Gathering, and I'm glad you brought it up, you know, because a new deck came out. I, I'm only uh, interested in any of, like, the... Um, like the hardcore, like you know, they go into the I can't remember the name of it because uh, I haven't played it in a while. Uh, Innistrad, uh, where it's like vampires, mutants, monsters. Okay. Um, but different worlds have different settings. But if depending on your taste, it's going to happen throughout the year. There's always a new set every quarter, and um, Muse is the place to go get it. But don't forget, Uncle Ed also sells Muse. I'm sorry, uh, Magic as well. Magic. Yes, he does. Yeah. I think a lot of places in the area do. I'm just not, you know, it's just never never been my bag personally. Not like Muse. Not like Muse. Muse will, like, yeah. like, like their display cases have magic cards. You know, they've got great mm-hmm. comics on the walls, but they've got, their display cases are mostly magic cards, and they will give you the mad hookup. They'll make sure you get what you want, what you need. If you're looking for a card, they will hold it for you if they find it. Nice. Okay. Mm. Uncle Ed doesn't really specialize in it, but he's got the goods. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, now we got a, yeah, quite a bit of, you know, I know that. I know Vans does a, went to Vans on Saturday last week, and they had a whole card, they had a whole tournament of some kind going on at the time. They're mostly Yu-Gi-Oh. I think they tend to do theirs every Saturday. They're mostly Yu-Gi-Oh. Ah, gotcha. They're mostly Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon. If you're more into, like, anime, um, yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon is where you want to go take that to to Vans. Uh, There is a designer shop that I can't believe I forgot the name of that is in old Colorado Springs that feels like, you you know, like, you ever been, like, into, like, a restaurant or any sort of institution where you feel like you're spending money just walking in? Mm-hmm. It's a game shop. Um, it's a, I want to say it's a block away from Bon Tons if you guys are here in the Springs. But uh, the back room looks like a, a gothic monstrosity of where you want to like play magic. It's gorgeous. I'll have to look that up next time. Um, nice, nice. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. Like, like like designer couches. I mean, like it, it looks it looks like you're walking into a vampire like hangout. Like a vampire diary? <laughs> oh, no, I never watched those. It's, I would say <laughs> uh, I, I appreciate you testing me, but uh, no. Um, but uh, any other uh, comic adventures you had, man? Because you you hit up Uncle Ed's. Uh... No, I hit up some places, man. I actually ended up going to Legends or Heroes of Dragons and found a bunch of the. Uh, it's actually what started my little new mutants thing. Was that I ended up finding a. Uh, a plethora of books there. I think I found six of the 13 issues right then and there. Nice. And that kind of started me off on my little uh, whimsical journey down the New Mutants Volume 2 rabbit hole. Do you have any particular favorite New Mutants? Because there's always usually like the same, like I don't want to say like six that they focus on. Um, anything in particular? Uh, like Cannonball is always uh, from the original group. Cannonball is a really cool. Dig Warlock. Um, freaking, I haven't really, I've, I've collected volume two for the most part, but I haven't actually, I want to freaking read them in a one shot once I actually collect all 13. Um, I actually, uh, same time I picked up the, uh, those volume two books, I picked up an old, they had, uh, 
during the new X-Men run, they had a four-part miniseries offshoot on uh, the Hellions. Nice. And they had a couple of cool people in there. They had, um, this is a totally different group than like the one they did with the Hickman run. Of course. But still, it is This one had like a, it had a character named Hellion. It had Rock Slide. It had Dust. um, Mercury. um, Tag. And I think it was one or two. uh, Wither. and And I think that was it. But like, I just finished that run before we started the uh, four-part miniseries before we started the podcast. And it was a lot of fun. Um, a, lot, a lot of character, like characters I know of, but like aren't any that are like completely featured in this current installation. It felt special. Of, uh, yeah, and so it was, it was good to read those ones, kind of get uh, caught up in a little bit more of the, uh, the Hellions. So they were always kind of I find I tend to find ones that uh, issues that specialize in the Hellions to be particularly enjoyable. That's awesome, man. Uh, did you hit up Kapow? Uh, not that day, actually. Uh, last time I picked it up was when I picked up my uh, "What's in the Box" from last week, and I went in there specifically for that one. The uh, the Green Arrow eighty year um compl- uh, compilation. Did you go get you got you went and got the rest of them? Well, no, I got the, I just got the, I got Detective Comics and I have the Green Arrow. Yeah. Um, they've got several more. I know Capat or no, Muse has the same edition with Harley Quinn, but it's only like 30 years, obviously. And I know uh, REC has the Joker one. But there's, uh, there's like those ones. All the Trinity has ones. There's one of Robin, one of Aquaman, one of Green Lantern, Flash. So, like, if I could find the Flash one, I think that'd be pretty awesome to have. But that's the only other one I'm really looking for at this time. Which Flash? Barry? Uh, um, I don't know. It's eight, it's 80 years, so it might be a compilation of all the Flashes. Or it might just be focusing on Barry. Or... But, uh, we'll know until I get it. Or they re-release... Uh, they don't re-release it. They actually published the first appearance of all of them in a one-shot. Because they traveled... From the past to bring, to bring us to to bring us the actual issue number one before they all got burned. We never you know. Never know. Maybe they do. <laughs> I would absolutely buy yeah. a comic that was toted as a uh, brought from the past by the actual Speed Force by people that actually appreciate well, spe- the Flash. Speaking of Flash from the past, apparently this week we're finally going to get our hands on a. Uh, Swamp Thing Green Hell issue too. Oh, it's been two years. I don't know if it's been two years yet, but it's definitely been quite a while. Uh, it f- it feels like two years, but it was probably a year because I, I I remember re- recording. God, it's probably been like an exact year because I think we first reviewed that one when I first moved here. Maybe yeah, I can see that. But it's worth the yeah. wait. Well, hopefully. <laughs> Don't until we go into, yeah. Hopefully it'll be, uh, it'll actually be in the bins when we go to Ed's this week, and we'll see what we can find. That's one of the best things about yeah. Ed, man. Call him like, hey, I forgot that last Ronan's coming out this week. Oh, it's already in your box. That's like, true. Great. And he's like, uh, both covers are there. You can pick whatever you want. 
Nice. That's gnarly. Yeah, man. nah, man. Freaking, I went down there last week real quick. It uh, Ed had gotten in fifteen boxes of long boxes of freaking books from a guy, and uh, had a uh, kind of first dibs to go through those. So that was super cool. That's gnarly, man. Did Ed probably yeah. had to knock down a wall for that one, man? Uh, pretty much. But yeah, no, nah, they were uh, got some. I got some good books. I ended up finally getting the uh, first uh, issue cap. Uh, 343 I think 243 first appearance of uh, John Walker's US agent ended up getting some Spider-Man books got a couple that are sitting there waiting for me I uh, picked up some more Iron Man from my Iron Man collection oh nice that was in the, in the new collection yeah freaking ended up getting four to six books out of that so freaking I'm more than halfway through my Iron Man collection at this point Plus, I got a, uh, I got a lead on issues two through twenty-five. So if I can actually make that happen, I have a have a heck of a what's in the box. <laughs> um, yeah, that'd be great. You want to go straight to that? Uh yeah, man. Freaking music. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have uh, too. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't have a very uh, exciting week. <laughs> the opposite, but uh, freaking uh, good spirits, freaking. We do what we gotta do. New era's coming back, March eleventh. Yeah, looking forward to it. When we were looking over the card earlier. We're not gonna have any surprises for you tonight, but uh, the card is absolutely freaking solid. And uh, tickets are available. Just go to neweraprowrestling.com and uh, just click tickets. It'll be there. We want to see it. You'll get uh-huh. your designer tickets. You'll get you'll get everything that you want out of any wrestling show. Let me phrase that: a professional wrestling show. And yeah, yeah. Now we've uh, we've already announced our main event. Uh, I believe we announced it yesterday. Yep. We've got Logan defending the uh, New Era Heavyweight Championship against Lipto in a no disqualification match. Uh, Lipto. So hopefully we don't tear down the venue in our first night. <laughs> Correct. We just got to make sure that Lipto's got proper access for that bike to come out, man. Like he comes out. He comes out like fully, man. Like I love it. Like he he rides out in that designer bike and he really sells it. And I remember uh, I haven't released any of these photos yet because I'm still working on them because I've been lazy the past couple of weeks. But uh, uh, he actually uh, had me take um, um, some portraits of the bike. <laughs> <laughs> nice portraits of that. Yeah, that's 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 it's got to get done, man. I remember uh, freaking the other day. Uh, couple of me and my homies were talking about trading cards and um about how much we miss the stats on the old trading cards and like you know some of the good gimmicks like um for example um this isn't a trading card but like they did that like series of punisher books that were just punisher armory it was just drawings of the guns <laughs> it was just drawn of the guns and the nice. right the right people liked it the right people bought it and mm-hmm. I'm not that's not political I'm just saying like back in the day we were kids we we freaking like guns and stats and uh, why not there's gotta be there's gotta be an individual trading card of the bike this is true maybe bring back that uh the old raw deal from the freaking late 90s early 2000s that'd be great man that'd be awesome they, it could be fun, I'll tell you that. They're trying to do that trading card set, man, but, like, they... I've seen that they, like, go real hard for a couple months, and then I feel like they hit a snag, and 
I'm hoping they're they're gonna get it finished, but like they really I don't know how much they know about the wrestling business, but I've learned it the hard way. Uh, once you got meat and potatoes, you need to release it immediately because if you make a uh, short film that is hilarious with great wrestling, and then you take your time. You spice it up, make it all pretty, and then before you release it, they break up. And then you can't release it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. But uh, do you want to go first for what's in the box? Yeah, sure. Speaking of wrestling, I got uh, I got Butts and Seats, the Tony Schiavone story. I was there. I saw it. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah, it is a freaking full-on autobiography of Tony Schiavone in comic book form. From, like, basically him growing up in a small town all the way to you know, watching uh, wrestling with his grandpa to, like, his going to his first wrestling show all the way through to him uh, sh- showing up at AEW. And he uh, sprinkles in some pretty hilarious stories towards the end. It is 14 chapters of awesomeness, and quite frankly, I couldn't, uh, once I got a chance to read it, couldn't put it down. That's that's good and, news, uh, man. That's high yeah, praise. It's, it's, it's awesome, man. Freaking, I would definitely recommend it to any comic book slash wrestling fan. <coughs> There's salt. Freaking, uh, there's a reason Tony Schiavone is referred to as the, uh, the voice of your childhood. Yeah, he's good. Freaking, so... He's the only one that can. He goes. He, he he comes off like a genuine person. Comes out. He talks about, you know, the good and the bad, and uh, talks about mistakes he made and stuff that uh, stuff that was he was made to do while in company certain companies that uh, you know, affected him in a personal level. Yeah. So definitely, uh, definitely worth the read. That's a good way to put it, man, because my question is for you, because I got jealous when you told me that's what was in your box. Uh, immediately ordered off of uh, freaking Amazon, because I got paid today, so mm-hmm. I might as well burn some money. Um, yeah. But, like, I've read a lot of wrestling um, autobiographies. Um, I read Mox. I put that on immediately. It was it was almost as bad as freaking um, the Stone Cold one. That, um, okay. Did you read that one that um, Jim Ross like helped him co-write and it it was bad. The Stone Cold one. Yeah. Yeah, it was not great. I, every single Jericho book is one of my favorite books of all time, but I'm I'm biased. You can't take my opinion on that one. Uh, all the mm-hmm. Mankind books are good. Um, can't think of any of the ones that I read. Oh, the Young Bucks one. Um, Young Bucks was okay. Um, I feel like it was released too early. It was very self-serving. But the way you're describing this Tony Schiavone book isn't the way you would describe a shoot interview. Like, I'm going to read this book and Tony's going to tell me all the dirt. No, I just want to know about Tony Schiavone. That's what you're telling me, right? Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a good, solid read, man. It's uh, the first time I've ever seen one done in comic book form. So that's freaking, that. that's interesting in and of itself. Of course. Um, Freaking, it was on my freaking ebay wish list for a while before i finally found it at kapow and i was just like you know it's here i'm just gonna get it he had the don't mad, regret it at all he had the mad hookup man like there was people in his store and he took the time let me find it for you yeah yeah no martin's a good dude over there freaking can't complain correct but yeah no dude it was it was totally worth uh worth the read worth the wait freaking uh couldn't recommend it more 
Yeah, no, there, there's definitely there's definitely levels of uh, wrestling autobiographies, man. Like Mankind, Jericho, Brother the Top. Um, I remember Edge being surprisingly good. William Regals was great. Goldust was really solid. Um, yeah, it gets down to like you can tell you can definitely uh, Ric Flair's was solid, but you can tell that point where they freaking they were labors of love. Like they wanted to get their stories out, and you could tell where they were just doing it to. Oh, hey, they said I needed to do a book. Yeah. And so, that was like your Stone Colds, your Rocks. Yeah. Like all the the ones in like the 80s, the 90s, after, right, right after Foley's. After Foley, but you couldn't follow that. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't follow yeah. that. And like Rock was like three years into his wrestling career and putting out a book. And it was like, that's cute, you know, but it's not, it's nothing you didn't already know. It's nothing great. And everything I read of They're Foley, getting, everything I read of Foley, like, uh, if uh, you minefielders are familiar with one of my favorite uh, artists out there, Henry Rollins, um, he doesn't do stand-up comedy. He does spoken word. He goes out there and tells stories, and most of them are absolutely dropped at hilarious. And it, it's stand-up comedy, but it's all real, and uh, you can't follow. You can't follow Mick, man. You, you couldn't follow that. Yeah. They, they did their best. I mean, well, I you, you could. It, it took a while. Like I said, it came to, like, Edge was good. Jericho's was amazing, obviously. Yeah. Flair's was solid. You know, you could just, you could just like, you could read them. I'm like, Eddie's was great. But you could really just tell when people did them because they wanted to do them and when people were doing them to make money. Right. Exactly. Just to, just to put out a product. I mean, at least we're used like D- to that. DDP, DDP's first book was amazing, too. Positively Page was solid as far as a non-WWE autobiography. Did he go back into his, like, club days and just oh, g- yeah. gambling and drinking? Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you haven't read Positively Page, it's definitely worth a read before he became a, you know, before he started saving lives with his DDP yoga. He saved by two Jakers Jericho my hero's uh, career, saved him from uh, he saved a lot of people an infusion. Yeah, he saved a yeah. man that uh that Jake the Snake one. I had to. It took me a week to watch that. Gotcha. Breaking that down, I mean, like seeing Razor Ramon in a in a wheelchair, like all like basically flubber. I just paused it and like, okay, I'm not ready for this now. I've had enough. <clears throat> I'll come back to it later. But that wasn't a book. Mm-hmm. That was a documentary. <clears throat> But um yeah. But uh, what I got is uh, I'm I'm hoping uh, vibrates at the same frequency is something that I am particularly fond of is when a comic book artist takes the chance on themselves, just like our good buddies, um, <clears throat> Mr. Tony Schiavone, and uh, do something off the, off the cuff, uh, off the beaten road. And this is a small book called By Chance of Providence came out in, uh, I want to say 2012 or 2013, uh, 2014 actually, and uh, it is a compilation of, <coughs> excuse me, I need to clear my throat, <coughs> mm-hmm. of all of the, I, I was there three or four of Becky's uh, self-published books, before, like, she had not really hit the big time yet. And I'm not sure if she really has hit the big time yet, but in my opinion, she has because she's one of my favorite. You've seen my Constantine drawing that um, that she did for me on the wall, and mm-hmm. uh, but um, she did like a couple of my favorite one was Wolves, and 
when you got them in the mail, they were signed. She had extra gimmicks with it. Like, she really went all out. Uh, but this is a uh, hardbound book of it, and just talk about um, having a good comic book store guy. Um, Ed will put stuff in our boxes, but only because he mm-hmm. knows we want them. I never felt that once that I found a book in my in my box that Ed was, like, hoping to trick me to buy or guilt me into yeah. buying. He's never once did that. Um, George over at Muse is a little bit more conservative than that. But he knew that Becky Cloonan is hands down one of my all-time favorite artists uh, there is when it comes to comics. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, got there for one of their, uh, they used to do this thing uh, where people that are working in comics and get together on Wednesday afternoons and they bring pizza and y'all just sit there and draw and talk about comics. But uh, one of the guys got in there earlier and I saw this book. I'm like, what is that? And uh, the, one of the gentlemen that was currently working for him at the moment uh, said, don't worry, it's in your box. And, like, just huge sense of relief. I didn't know that she was releasing this um, particular uh, hardbound set. And um, paper quality is gorgeous. I mean, her, like, the thing about Clunin is her inks. Like, they're just so... They'll immerse you. And she, she's got a bit of a... You can tell she likes anime, but it doesn't, it doesn't look like gimmicky anime. Like, the eyes are a little bit bigger. Um, she captures real good emotions. She can really spread a story across the scene. But uh, when I met her for the first time, um, it was like when I was talking to you about Shooter, when I handed him my reader copy of uh, freaking Secret Wars. Like, he took, mm-hmm. care, he took care of it like it was a, like, you know, 9.9, like... No, it was beat to crap, man. Like, he put a piece of felt out, put his the edge of his his palm on it, you know, the, the corner here, and mm-hmm. was worried he was going to get, like, hand oil on it. And uh, she did the same thing, and uh, she, uh, she didn't do that exactly. But when they make their signatures extra pretty, I'm trying to see if you can get that on the camera. Okay, awesome. And she's like, is this for eBay? I'm like, no, uh, my name's Joshua. And she put it for Joshua. Becky, 2015. Uh, I love this book. It's it's Norse inspired, <coughs> but um, there's a lot of more books coming out lately that um, are you know crowdfunded. Like uh, tomorrow is um, actually today is Lady Death Day. It's 29 years. Uh, oh wow. Posted a little brief snippet when um, Polito posted about, uh, you know, this Kickstarter coming up. And I had to say some kind words about him because I've, you know, like I said, I'm not trying to brag, but I've interviewed a lot of people. But the one that made me pop was meeting I'm Vince Vaughn, uh, Cole Chamber, Devil Driver, freaking, there's Evanescence. Like, I, I've, there's bands I've forgotten about. I've interviewed Vinnie Paul. But the one person that made me pop was Polito. He answered every single oh, question. Nice. Every single question I had, and I had a million of them. And you know me when I get excited. Imagine, yeah. imagine me on the jazz when I'm like in in front of someone I'm just so excited to meet. Like I wasn't I didn't even buy anything off them. I already bought everything. I had a stack of Lady Death and Evil Ernie and uh, answered every question. I mean like he took real care. And knowing that, like, I was, 
thought it was all the jazz. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. it, it, it felt like 15 minutes. It was probably five. But that's a lot for someone uh, when you've got a line. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so today is Lady Death Day. There's Kickstarter uh, starting up. And uh, I'm hoping that more people are going to be able to self-fund themselves like this. You know, like our buddy Belanger in uh, Canada there. And um, well, that's what I got for that one, man. I, this is this is something really special to me. I was, like, going through some of the things I wanted to present, but uh, I'm glad I picked this one because I, I think it perfectly matches, like, you know, the only thing we, the only thing that's missing is that we need, we got to get Shivani to sign that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Maybe he'll be at Denver Comic Con this year. Maybe he will. If he knows what is good for him. Hmm. It's true. <laughs> Brett knows Aubrey. We'll tell him the, like, like personally knows Aubrey. Um, they're both from Seattle, so tell Tony to get a little booski there over at a Denver Comic Con. It's true. Mm. That will just fly him in. Yeah, I know, right? That's what I got for that, man. But uh, I was thinking today, uh, after like some conversations we've had, because we've done conversations where about how you. Uh, you're 20 years in the business now? Mm-hmm. Be 21 next month. My wrestling career will be able to legally drink. That's awesome. It's a good thing your wrestling career didn't meet me from 10 years ago. <laughs> kind of would have legally died. Terrible. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we, we've talked about how to behave when you're going to like, cause you're, you're talking about going to ring owner tryouts, but, um, if you, if you were running a fed or if you were, uh, one year in the business, you're 10 years in the business and you find out that there's some scouts in the uh, crowd, what do you, what would you say is expected of you as a booker? as an owner or as someone that's starting out um, like what pointers would you give to someone to make sure that they're on their best behavior gotcha well yeah no we were talking about I got a I was since I've been going back to the gym after my uh, surgeries um, yeah I'm listening to a lot of podcasts while I've been at the gym and uh, listening to one with Mr. Ken Anderson who was in WWE you know, around around 2005, 2006, is Mr. Kennedy. Kennedy. And uh, he was talking a lot about it, how he got signed. Because a lot of these cats were going out there um, doing um, matches for WWE. And they were trying to show off their wrestling skill and whatnot. And he had a uh, a friend who was already there. If I remember correctly, I believe it was uh, Sean Davari. And... You know, Debari pulled him aside and was like, hey, you know, if you want to really impress the scouts, you know, don't worry about wrestling. Worry more about your uh, your personality. Really? You know, give them something. Yeah, give them something that everybody else isn't giving them. Is that, because, know, that's a, uh, is that because, like, there's so many bald guys with vests and, you know, there's a lot of similar gimmicks out there. Like, personality is shining more than actual, like, I'm not saying talent or look. Obviously, that really matters. But is it getting to a point where that personality and really getting to sell yourself is becoming pinnacle? Eh, yes and no. Um, the biggest thing with that is that 
like WWE's got a training school. Yeah. If you're if we're talking specifically about WWE, I don't have AEW does too with the Nightmare Factory. They can train you to wrestle. They can take people off the street that have no knowledge of wrestling but are athletes and train them to wrestle. Teach I mean, they can mold you into exactly what they want. They don't care about your moves. Like that's 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 cool. But like if you have a personality and you go out there and you show it, that's something they can gravitate towards. You know, we've talked a lot about it previously, you know. Um there are people that have gotten jobs that like other people who are in that same uh that same level and freaking that uh, but are more experienced will uh talk down upon. I mean, you've had this conversation previously about specific people. Correct. But it's like, you know, oh, they're new. They don't deserve it. I deserve it more, blah, 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 whatever. But the thing is, is that these people are, you know, they're young, they're coachable. Maybe they've got, you know, they've got something specific that whatever big league fed might be interested in, whether it's their physical appearance, whether it's a gimmick they've come up with that makes them stand out whether it's their natural charisma, whether it's their ability on a microphone to talk, you know, there, there are multiple things. Like everybody's looking for something that makes you as a person stand out, a, a star quality, if you will. You know, it's, and the thing about that is what you, what are you going to do? You know, you got to, you have to find that out for yourself, what you have, like, what do you have to offer to a big company that? any of the other people on that show or in that tryout or what have you don't have to offer. Oh, that's a great point. And uh, bring it real quick back to comic books. Um, okay, big companies coming to X-Fed. Um, you mm-hmm. might be bigger, can beat up everybody, work out more than everybody, um, but at the same time, the way you're describing it is like the way, like I say if we, you and I were to write a comic book, we would have to come up with characters. Mm-hmm. But this isn't comic books. It's very similar. But you're looking for people that made their own character that you can invest in. And then, and then we'll take it from there, and then we'll write the comic book with the person that's directly involved. And, mm-hmm. you know, decide what you want to look like, decide how you want to act, but just make it good, I guess, you know? Um... They're take, kind of taking the middleman out because when you when you're buying a, investing in a new comic book, whether it's you know three dollars or if you're Johnny Come Lately and find out that you know Saga came out a year ago and it's six hundred dollars now and you, you saw it but you, you you didn't take the chance on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of see a similarity there, but at the same, but like I said, invest in yourself, make a good character, good personality for these people to care about you to put in their yeah. show or comic book or fed. Hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing, man. Like, you know, we've talked about it a plethora of many times on the show, you know, it, when it comes right down to it, wrestling is art form. It's malleable. You know, what, what I like in wrestling, you may not like, and what you like, I might not like. Yeah. You don't have to start Technically, you were trying to appeal to one person or you know several people, depending on what the situation is. 
but you were trying to get that person to see value in you so much so that they believe they can take you to a bigger company and and make money off of you right and make you money you know well, and that's course. yeah well yeah but they don't care about that yeah, I know. They, they yeah. care. They care. They care about you. They care about you making the company money. The bottom line, you know, that you're you're basically worth the investment, and that's that's a huge thing. If you if you have that ability, because there are people, there are people that are amazing wrestlers that'll never get past where they're currently at because they don't work on other aspects of their game other than their wrestling. You know, like I said, your physical body, your ability to work cut promos, you know, whatever can help you separate yourself from the pack, basically. Right. You know, all these cats freaking, oh, I'm a good wrestler. It's all I need. It's not. No. Because no matter matter what, you know, if you're, whether you like it or not, if if your goal is to get to AEW, you are instantly competing with somebody of the volition of a Brian Danielson, a Kenny Omega, you know, you would be fighting for TV time against those guys. And that's, that's one of the things about wrestling that has always kind of been interesting to me. It's, um, it's both an individual sport as well as a team sport because you're, you're working together to make the match look good. But at the same time, you're trying to shine up. And like, oh, I wanna, I want this job. And you have to find the balance between the two to get to that point where you wanna, to where you wanna be. I need to shine up myself to look as good as I can for, you know, this group of people. But at the same time, um, you know, I have to, I want to have a good match with this person because us working together will lead to that end goal of me possibly getting this job. Right. No, I, I see exactly what you're saying. I mean, like, just because you might be someone on the lower card, uh, you got to work your butt off to make sure that you're worthy of stealing two minutes of John Moxley's time. Yeah. And and that's actually the big deal. Is it's called maximizing your minutes. You know, from the moment you come out of that entranceway to the moment you go back, you're on. You know, you have to get you have to get whatever you want to get out there to the crowd. You have to get that out. And plus, the thing, one thing too is, uh, I was listening to another um, video with Awesome Kong, and she was talking about how, while she wasn't on WWE's radar, all these other girls were sending in their videos to WWE, and they were sending in all their best matches, and all their best matches were against Kong. And eventually, That's WWE incredible. figured out that we Kong's need, the one we want. We need because Kong. Because all these women, <laughs> yeah, all these women are having these amazing matches against this one person. And then, so why don't we go for that one person instead of everybody else? I have such respect for that woman, man. I remember when she was on Glow, I knew very little about her, but I knew she was, you know, Kong. And freaking mm-hmm. looked up all, as many of the matches as I could. Uh, while like one eye is looking at glow and man, did she make people shine and man, she was ferocious and such a good wrestler. And I absolutely see your point, but 
How funny is it that if you're trying, like, the more these women tried to put themselves over, they accidentally put themselves, put another woman over even more than they could possibly fathom. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. And then uh, mixed in with her performance in Glow, man, because remember how upset she was when her uh, son was, like, you know, upset she was playing Wolfer Queen? And. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a a double entendre there. She was making a point, performing a a gimmick that might be shameful to some people in the black community, but in doing so, she shined a light on how she was doing what she had to do and also being superior at it. And, like, she she completely eclipsed almost every single one of those women and, and men actors on that show. Uh, great point, man. I did not know that. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's that's the thing, man, is freaking you have to, like I said, you got to find out what works for you. And that ends up being ridiculously important. That was one of the biggest lessons I learned. Um, I did it to one of the first Ring of Honor tryouts when they started, I believe it was 2009 or 2010. And me and uh, a buddy who, when I was living in Amarillo, flew out to, uh, to Philadelphia. And we did a uh, three day, a two to three day tryout with Ring of Honor. And they focused on in-ring. They focused on uh, characters. And they also focused on your speaking ability. And um, we knew several people that were already in Ring of Honor, including the guy that was running the seminar, the tryout. And that kind of gave us an in. Um, but there were two, there were two mistakes I made that freaking cost me when I was there. All right. Uh, didn't cost me, didn't cost me completely, but, uh, definitely put a, a kink in my kink in the plans. So I made the mistake of not checking my phone enough. Because they were they were doing the tri- the tryout the seminars tryouts were during the day, and then they would do Ring of Honor events that that night. And uh, I didn't check my phone enough because I got a we had we had re- I'd gotten an email from Kevin Kelly being like, "Hey guys, if you show up on time, if you show up early, we'll get you dark matches." That's awesome. And I I didn't read that until after the show was over. Text message or uh, actual email? Email. Oh, Had man. I received the text message, we'd have been there. Yeah, but I didn't. I didn't check my email enough, and for you, when I got back to the building, you know, me and uh, we had missed the opportunity to do the dark matches. Now I is is what it is, but no, I, I get it, man. I, I remember when like I was DJing, and I thought DJing was the big thing, and now you and I have evolved into completely different creatures and what's going on is we'll talk about it off camera, but we're pretty confident about it. (laughs) Uh, We're pretty confident about it. And, uh, you're still wrestling. I'm still making, you know, random beats every now and then, but like, uh, I found my niche, man. Uh, and, um, luckily I got the email from you. But yeah, no. Um, but the the second big lesson I learned from this uh this experience, please, was to be true to yourself. I made the mistake. I had uh on the second day we were doing promos, 
and I believe it was with Dave Lagana, who I think currently works for AEW, and Jim Cornette, who you might have heard of. A little bit. Freaking, um, yeah, here and there. But we had to do promos in front of him. And um, went in there with this. I had this idea that I'd always wanted to do. And I was really confident in the idea. But as I was waiting, in, because there was a bunch of us in line outside this office, and freaking you had to, you'd go in there and you had a minute to do a promo. But I was I was pretty confident in what I was doing. But uh, uh, I'd run into Kevin Kelly, who was in WWE in the late '90s, and then was the voice of Ring of Honor in New Japan. Yeah, I think he's still the voice of New Japan. But um, and we had gotten to talking, and I don't remember the exact reasons behind it, but he had heard a story about um on a wrestling trip to California, uh, when I was a kid, when I was younger. We uh, our car had broken down in Wyoming, and to stay warm, because it was in the middle of the night, we'd broken into a houseboat. And uh, Kevin Kelly had heard the story, and in his and he was like, "Oh my God, you have to tell that story to Jim Cornette." And for some reason, I had it in my head that I had that this was this was my end. So I had changed up the entirety of my promo and the entirety of my character to get this story to Jim Cornette. And I ended up, you know, honestly, I bombed the promo. Because like, it wasn't the delivery just wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't what I had planned. It wasn't what I thought would work. But just on the, because Kevin Kelly loved it, I was like, oh, I got to do this. This is my end. And it changed everything. And I remember going out to the, uh, uh, we were friends with Jerry Lynn, former ECW and Ring of Honor champion. And we had gone to the bar afterwards with him and like a bunch of the Ring of Honor guys, which was super cool. But, um, you know, uh, I told Jerry Lynn the story and he was like, oh, he was like, you never do that. You always, always stay true to your character, always stay true to who you are. Because if you do that, you're just, you're throwing out. You know, you're throwing out whatever you can to try to get a job, and it's never going to work because they see right through it. And Jim Cornette saw right through it. Like, me and him had talked the day afterwards real quick, and he was like, I was just like, dude, my promo wasn't what it needed to be. And he was like, yeah, you're right. And it was one of those lessons I learned that I, you know, when I was training guys full time, I uh, made it a point to let them know, you know, don't, you know, when push comes to shove, stick true to who you are and what you're doing, because that'll get you a lot farther than trying to change what you're doing to appease somebody else. That's a, that's heavy, man. And, uh, I was talking to, uh, a, a good friend, uh, my boss actually about, uh, a mini project I've been doing. And he was like, I thought you'd be relieved that you finally got these stories out and stories out and uh, I was like, yeah, I thought I was, uh, but then I realized that uh, I was exposing myself, and also the fact that um, James Abar said this, I'm getting some of this, by the way, um, that um, when he wrote The Crow, he wrote it to make him feel better about the DUI death, uh, his, his, the actual story is that uh, what actually happened, James Abar came back from the military uh, about to marry the love of his life, she gets killed in a drunk driving accident. 
and he he wrote the crow as uh trying to make himself feel better and there was no catharsis he specifically said it made me feel worse however i'm glad i got the story out because it was true because it was true um I thought you were going to tell me that you guys broke into Jim Cornette's houseboat. Um, but <laughs> uh, no. no. I don't know if he owns a houseboat in Kentucky. I don't know. Just trying to make you laugh, man. But you're you're 100% correct. Like, um, I can see your reasoning. Like, yeah, it's a great story that you'd want to amalgamate or, you know, add a bunch of other stuff to it. But if you – what you're saying is, if I'm not mistaken, is that if you had told the story, like, the way it happened – they would have believed you. And that's what they were looking for, is people they believe in? Uh, yes and no. It, it's really more about just sticking true to the character, really. Like, you can only, like, if you switch up everything you're doing last minute and have, like, five minutes to think about it, as opposed to, like, hey, I had this, you know, this was good to go already. Yeah. And, I mean, who knows? The promo might have bombed anyway. I wasn't, you know... I definitely kind of took more of a emphasis on promos after the fact. But, you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't what they were looking for as far as uh, talking ability. But the, the one thing I want to bring home, and I'm, you as Tony Morales are, um, your character is pretty full of himself, but not like in an over the top way like you're you're very uh you're very cocksure and but you're telling me that it just it just wasn't the right story yeah i would say it wasn't the right character telling the story it was really what it came down to all right cuz it was trying to it was trying to be more positive it was trying to be it just wasn't it didn't it didn't the amalgamation of the way I told the story and the story itself didn't blend to the point where it was something they were interested in. There's no harm in that. You still tried, though. Yeah. yeah you, you still tried, though. And other doors are opening. It's happening. Freaking. Do you. If you don't mind me asking something like extremely personal and, and just cut me off, I'll delete it. Um, do you ever get really scared when things are going like too well? No, I mean you really want to. I mean, you always want to make sure, like, cross your T's, dot your eyes, and whatnot. Make sure that you can present what you're trying to present in the proper way. Right. But I mean, you know, it's it's very much like. The first time I wrestled, I wrestled Jerry Lynn several times back when I was in Texas. And I remember the first time I wrestled him, one of the guys looked at me and was like, aren't you scared? It's Jerry Lynn. And I remember looking at him and being like, nah, man, it's Jerry Lynn. He can make a broomstick look good. I definitely have more talent than a broomstick. That's awesome. You know, freaking, you know, it it went well. We had a, the majority of our matches were always really, really good. Freaking, uh, but you know, if, you know, if you're scared, like, you know, we joke around about the replacements all the time. Winners want the ball. Winners want the ball. You know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be afraid of success then maybe success wasn't meant for you. Success does scare me, but I would rather be successful than 
dead. Because there's there's uh. there's no gray area. You're either dead or or you've been trying. <coughs> I mean that's a huge thing, man. Freaking, I don't you know not a not a man that lives his life with many regrets. You know, I've done some stupid stuff. I've done some amazing stuff. Yeah, you freaking, have. And, you know, freaking. But at the end of the day, you know, I wouldn't be where I was without making mistakes. And you know, just gotta you know, success comes through failure after failure until you finally not failing anymore. I've had that discussion uh, recently, actually. Like, uh, regrets? Yeah, there's some stupid stuff I did. But no. No, just, it, like, if everything brought me here to Colorado, uh, next thing I know, I meet you. You and I are, like, and we've talked about it off-screen a lot, but, like, what we do is very tiring. <laughs> like, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but it doesn't feel like work when we're doing it. But, you know, the, the residuals there, we're tired. Freaking, yeah. we're going for it. And I, I, the, the reason I bring it up is because I've met people, like, I'm sure you've, you've had friends that are in bands. And they're like, oh, it's going to happen. And you hear them play and you're like, oh, man, who's going to tell them? Not me. <laughs> Not me. Um, but this doesn't feel like a pipe dream and we're, we're putting the work into it. And I think the reason why it doesn't feel like a pipe dream, despite the fact that we've had immense success and like, mm-hmm. Jesus, man, like, uh, when did we first get together to start working together? Like, was it 2021? Or two? Something like no, that. It 2020, was, 2021. It was 2020. 2020, I think. It was 2020. Yeah. We've just been nose the grindstone. We, we challenge each other all the time, and um, I appreciate you sharing that with uh, us and me over here at Minefields, but I, I hope that, you know, put your nose to the grindstone. Do what you got to do. It's not one of those pull your bootstraps up. It's just keep working, man. Just keep working. Jeez, uh, uh, like for two and a half years ago, if you had told me about what's about to happen on the 11th, I'd have been shaking my boots. We had an hour-long conversation about what we were going to do beforehand. Like, this is how it's going to happen. No. All right, back and forth. All right, this cool. Clip, clap, break. No, it's going to be a heck of a show. I'm really looking forward to it, man. And I, I can't wait for everyone else to see the rest of the roster. Um, but uh, anything else? Like, any, like, little do's and don'ts? Like, what to wear? Like, how to shake a hand? Um... You know, like anything that might be little that, like uh, a greenie might not know that if they make a mistake, like that they just didn't know. And you can't hold that against them, but they, it can. Oh, you can. Oh, you can hold against them for years if you want. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're right. Um, but uh, anything little that anyone that needs to know. Not really. Man, just you know, introduce yourself. Freaking be prepared. That's the whole joke. At the end of the day, if you're there and, you know, you show them what you're, you know, who you are and present yourself well, you know, look them in the eye, shake their hand, you know, smile, be cordial. You know, there's definitely a difference between being cordial and sucking up. Yeah, a big difference. There we go. That's, you know, what, that's, what, that's what I was looking for. That's what I was looking for. I didn't know what I was looking for, but yeah. that's what I was looking for. <clears throat> big difference. But, yeah, I mean, just... 
show up and you know show up with the you know thought process hey i'm gonna put on a show because at the end of the day that's what we're here for regardless fans you know if you're going there with the intention to you know show up and do everything you can to walk out of there with a contract at any given day that could very well work against you yeah you know i actually almost uh when i had my tryout match i almost kicked carrie silken in the head how so i'm freaking out uh, he was sitting on the ringside, and freaking, I jumped over him to hit a uh, freaking split leg moonsault. And as I was jumping over him, I was like, "Sorry, boss," and just went and hit the move. But uh, one of the big things about it is freaking again going back to the personality aspect of it. One of the guys that ended up moving out there, going to the school, and getting signed off of it was a guy named. Uh, Robert Evans, who wrestled on there as R.D. Evans, who was a, he did a, a lawyer gimmick with, I believe, Moose and uh, Stokely Hathaway for a little bit. And his whole thing was that he, uh, he wrestled this dude that was in bigger and better shape from Booker T school in down, Houston. Down in Houston, yeah. Yeah, and freaking, um, but at the end of the match, he was a, he was a skinny, tall guy. And he freaking, um, he was tall enough that when he stood on the top rope, he hit his head on the ceiling. And he ended up working it into, into the match where he hit his head on the ceiling, fell forward, and the guy hit his, uh, or he crouched himself. And the guy turned it into the finish where he hit like a running power slam. But freaking Robert Evans, the guy that hit his, the guy that played the goofball gimmick, yeah, was the, uh, the guy that ended up getting signed uh, off of it. Because he was smart enough to run with it. Yeah, well, he did. I mean, he did. The whole thing was per, he did it all on purpose. But the whole thing ended up being that he was the one that showed the personality, and even in a place like Ring of Honor, that matters. They've got the thing is, like I said, at the end of the day, no matter what move you can do, they've got people that can do better. You think you're going to out wrestle Ray Phoenix? <laughs> it's just not going to happen. No, unless you're like Elva can go good. Or Eho and El Vikingo. You know, that's just not going to... Dude, for every move you can do, they've got guys that can do a million more. Like, it's it's no joke where in wrestling, the wrestling is the least important part. It is what it is. You want to go out there, you want to show out, there's a reason Wardlow's got a job. There's a reason out of 150,000 wrestlers in the United States, let's say, Orange Cassidy and Dan Housen are the guys with contracts. Big contracts. Like, uh, I remember it was like five months after Dan Housen first showed up on AW, and he was like, <clears throat> and I'm celebrating him. Like, like, it, like, I remember seeing photos of him and his wife and their daughter, like, you know, on their website and him doing his, uh, out of makeup uh, interview on Conan O'Brien, but he showed he showed up for that and showed personality. But because he worked that hard, like like uh, I mentioned it before with Mox, like you know, you ever bought a house straight up cash money? I own several, actually. Exactly, <laughs> it's hard. <Yeah. laughs> Yeah, and yeah. and they and they they put the money into it. Now is 
Orange Cassidy and Dan House and the best wrestlers in the world? Absolutely freaking not. Absolutely not. Uh. <clears throat> Are they entertaining? Is it, is it is, is with our own jaded personalities? Out. Like that have seen some crazy stuff in our time? I mean, they're not Eddie coming out in a lowrider. Eddie could just, like, come out in a little rider and just walk away. <laughs> but, uh... I mean, even Eddie Guerrero, dude. Eddie Guerrero was a phenomenal wrestler who had worked, spent years working on his body. But it wasn't until he became Latino heat with China that people attached to him. And that's what got him to the WWE title eventually. I always felt like the Simpsons ripped him off. And I want to say it was, like, 90, 1990. So, um, I wasn't watching... Any wrestling at the time. But uh, when Bart first got hit by a car by Mr. Burns, uh, he goes to hell. And uh, he gets revived and starts floating out. And he's talking to the devil. And uh, he's like, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here until the, you know, this, this, and this. Then he's with the pennant. And uh, he starts floating out. And he's like, is there any way I can avoid this? He's like, nah, you wouldn't like it. And uh, he's like, all right, goodbye. And the devil's like, Goodbye, Bart. Remember, lie, cheat, steal, and listen to heavy metal music. (laughs) um, I hope that's where he got it. Maybe it is. I know he got the uh, Latino Heat character from Hank Azaria in The Birdcage. Because he was talking... Hank Azaria was the... uh, Guatemalan Heat. Guatemalan Heat. That's exactly where he got it from. He changed it to Latino Heat. Guatemalan Heat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where he got it from. Well, yeah, it wasn't, you know, for all... I mean, Eddie Guerrero was a lot of people's favorite wrestler at the time, but he was not a superstar until he became Latino Heat. Yeah, that was gnarly. That was you gnarly. know, and that's, that's the thing, dude. Freaking Eddie Guerrero was a guy that would have had a good career at WWE. But he was a legend once he became Latino Heat, and that is the difference. Oh, there's very few legends. I mean, they they, yeah. they, they say that there's... This guy's a legend. This guy's a legend. No, I want to say there's maybe like nine of them. Like that's legit, freaking legend. Like Mount Rushmore. Uh, I, I hate the Mount Rushmore thing because there's only four guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there should be more. And if you're into legit wrestling, yeah, you 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 know what I'm getting at. But uh, yeah, yeah uh, even that that's a, that's the thing, dude. Freaking, what is legit wrestling? At the end of the day, for you know, like I said, dude, for all, for all the freaking wrestling moves in the world, guys like freaking Dan Housen, like Dan Housen and Orange Cassidy are just the easiest freaking, easiest people that you can put in that calendar, that oh, freaking yeah. thought process. That, hey, I'm not they're sure. not real wrestlers, quote unquote. But I'm freaking, not crapping on them. I'm not crapping on them. I'm just saying. I mean, the reason, dude, reason Santino's a, Santino's a phenomenal wrestler. Uh, Santino Marilla and freaking the reason he got over was because he was doing the goofy comedy stuff. Our truth's amazing. He's got a job for life basically because he makes Vince McMahon laugh. I have that's, never that's been heard the joke that. For years. I have never heard that in my life that anyone made Vince McMahon laugh. Yeah, that was heard. the whole joke. That's why he still got a job. He entertains Vince. It's all that matters. I guess that's why Titus is still around, because I, I can't remember the last time I left that hard. Last time I left that hard was freaking something about Mary seeing in the theater. <laughs> like, mm. Him slipping and falling, I felt bad for the guy, but 
That was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the thing. At the end of the day, it's 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 wrestling's a game of connections. You have to make a connection with the people in the stands. You have to make connections with the people that have the ability to move you up to the next level. At the end of the day, that is the most important part of the game. As we wind down on this, before we get to some comics, I remember reading, uh, not reading, listening to a podcast uh, with Joe Rogan and uh, Punky. Uh, and she was talking about how she used to hope that the guy that wasn't, or gal that wasn't as funny as her, would open for her. That way she'd go in and kill it. But mm-hmm. then when she started challenging herself, she realized the real way to do the best way to do anything is to have a killer in front of you. And you better keep the volume up. Better keep the volume and, up. And who is this? Uh, Punky Johnson is a uh, stand-up comedian. Uh, she's uh, currently featured on Saturday Night Live. Uh, but she was a uh, feature over at the uh, Comedy comedy Store, which is where uh, Mitzi, okay. Mitzi Shore ran it. Um Pauly Shore's mom, and uh, she was getting interviewed by Joe Rogan, and um, uh, for the past, like, two years since she's been on the show, it always gets brought up uh, on Rogan's show uh, when he has random uh, comedians about how proud they are of Punky. Like, like they're they're not fans of Saturday Night Live, but they'll watch it because they know Punky's on it, and because of the work she put in, and the way that she conducted her business, and um, the way we're talking about wrestling, about uh, what is good wrestling, what's bad wrestling, what's a good gimmick, what's not a good gimmick, who can talk, who can't talk. Uh, but she went above and beyond and decided to not be one of those people that wanted someone that could hold the room in front of her. She wanted to kill her in front mm-hmm. of her. She wanted to kill her in yeah. front of her. And she challenged herself to freaking keep the momentum going. And... Granted, what you want to think or say about Saturday Night Live right now, um, that's a top. That's a top spot. <laughs> that's a top spot. Yeah. That's 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 made for life. Um, but uh, I appreciate your insight on that, and um, that's. It's not exactly the same parallel, but uh, I was trying to just add to it in terms of like what you're talking about, whether or not you're good on the mic or not, um, or believe in yourself and keep true to yourself. I really like that point you make. That's awesome. Nice. nice. And she kept true to herself and she challenged herself. She's a a lesbian woman from New Orleans. She's a a bigger woman. Back in the 90s, they wouldn't have given anything about her, man. And, uh, Mm -hmm. but uh, it, it proves the point that, you know, she shows the personality. She was sweet. She was humble. And, um, you know, we've talked about when we've interviewed wrestlers before about when we believe them or not, or, but that's, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling on this, but let's, uh, I need a quick break. We're getting some comics and, uh, talk about how awesome New Era is. Cool. Sounds like a plan. Cool. We'll be back here to these messages from our sponsor. From our sponsor. Uncle Ed, we love you. 10% off. Just sign up. Back from a quick little break. See you there, guys. Brett in the comic books. Hope you guys learned your lesson when it comes to wrestling. 
Uh, especially if you know that uh, some important people are going to be there, or just how to conduct yourself just in general. Uh, I want to get right into uh, one that really had me on the jazz this week. Uh, I remember calling you about it, like, Thursday, man. <laughs> like, um, Or you called me, and I was like, I'm reading this one. Uh, we got King Spawn number 19. Now, I have reread the entirety of Spawn. Okay. The whole shebang of bang. And is that 300 plus issues at this point? Yeah, it's like 330 something plus. Uh, I, read, I read the curse, uh, Hellspawn, um, Dark Ages. Um, but rereading it, like it shows you the lull in things. And um, before we get too far into it, when it comes to the lull in things, you, you start out with something amazing. You know, Spawn issues 1 through 12 are undeniable <laughs> undeniably good mm-hmm. undeniably good enough that you're not even a, that big of a spawn fan but you at least have those ones you made it you went out of your way to make sure you got those now um, yeah i got as, the first year of spawn as the story progresses um there were some wacky issues like i told you that were a little you know off the beaten path like when he teams up with houdini for two issues um the overly sentimental ones that, you know, really get me, like, uh, when he, uh, showed, uh, he took Granny, uh, Granny, um, <clears throat> Granny Blake to one of the dead zones and showed her, like, you know, basically, like, let her, like, reunite with her dead husband, and, uh, a lot of, a lot of different things going in Spawn, but, uh, the best part about it was the nitty-gritty when he goes off the beaten path, and I've heard a lot of bad things about Uncle Todd, where he's, like, complaining the sculptors are making things too demonic. I've heard that before. Uh, I've heard lots of good stuff. Um, you hear podcasts where people are crapping on him all the time, like, oh, he's cutthroat. I'm like, well, you got to be. I mean, I'm sure you understand that. Um, I'm only, like, what, three and a half years in the business. You're, you're about to be 21. Um, you got to be cutthroat. You got to be quality. And this issue went back to the true blue spawn we're talking we've got this crazy story going on where he might be able to resurrect his wife um he's betrayed his best friend terry again well not really betrayed but just you know he stabs from the front uh not in the back and um all of a sudden we get this story in king spawn where these people uh part of psalms wants to make him their god or their king get him to hell to be the uh, the new Satan sit on the throne, and uh, all of a sudden we get this story about this corporation that is paying people for human body parts. Okay. The artwork is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, uh, we're talking like they take chances in splash pages where they go overly dramatic, but then the way they set things up, it's not like watching a Law and Order issue episode, man. Uh, this mm-hmm. punk guy is walking on the street and this girl running across like at the same time bumps into him and knocks his cooler and a brain falls out of it. He takes, oh, he takes off uh, and the two cops that this case lands on the desk of is our favorite Sam and Twitch. Uh, they find the corporation and between the lines they're threatened. Like, we pay good money for what we do. This is all totally legal. Twitch is like, yeah, it's legal. <laughs> Sam's like, F that. These guys are evil. We got to figure this out. And um, 
I'm worried that they're setting up for the death of Sam Sam Burke. Um, he's been with us since uh, friggin' ninety two, and yeah. uh, ninety three, and um, all of a sudden brains are getting pulled out of people, man. And we get this nice little lull in the story where they've been so serious for the past like two years about Spawn going on his crusade. Um, forming the Scorch, um, and all of a sudden we get True Blue Spawn again. Like, um, I don't, for for you minefielders out there, we always give spoilers. Obviously, you know, we let you know that you're watching this. We expect you to have read your books already. But if you had not, uh, this is one I'm not going to steal from you. Um, if you missed Spawn, if you dropped off when the Scorch started... Uh, if you haven't read since uh, Endgame, and you loved everything up to like freaking like I want to say like maybe thirty eight, uh, when uh, Sigur, you know, not that's not the exact issue, but uh, when Sigur showing up, when we got Eddie and his little brother, he comes back to New York. The costumes freaking out. I mean, basically up to I want to say thirty two. Yeah, thirty two is the one. If you miss that. Do not fall asleep on this issue. And it's enough meat and potatoes that you're going to... Uh, I'm not saying you're going to want to buy everything, but it'll it'll make you happy. But uh, that's what I got for King Spawn, man. That's the one that really popped me, man. Like, uh, I, I read it twice. That's one of, if that means any grabby toss, I read it twice. Nice, nice. Uh, it sounds like, you know, bringing back to your actual, you know, old school Spawn, that's great, man. Any uh, particular uh, favorite memories of Spawn you have? Uh, no, nah, man, not really. Like, I was ever, I was ever huge into Spawn. You know, when Image kind of took off, I was kind of gravitated more towards Jim Lee and Wildcats than McFarlane and Spawn. I never really noticed that. I noticed that you always bought Wildcats and uh, everything else. But Spawn and all the darker stuff. So it's, it was pretty cool that you and I, like, went to the other ends, you know? Yeah, definitely different, man. Freaking out. Yeah, no, I've got a lot of, quite a few number ones from the original Image run. I got, like, Savage, you know, Savage Dragon, Spawn. You know, thank you for those. Freaking got a Shadowhawk, uh, Wildcats. A couple other ones that escaped me at the moment. But, yeah, man, I was always... I was always all about image when it started out. Shrieking about mainly Wildcats. Yeah, Wildcats is boss, man. Wildcats is boss. Yeah, good, good to see they're back doing uh with DC these days. Great, great. Uh, that's yeah, what I got awesome. for King Spawn, man. Uh, what do you got next? Uh, I'm gonna go through a Bloodline Daughter of Blade issue one, real quick. Yeah, you know, we got a we got a single mother and her daughter Brielle. And Brielle's like a three-sport athlete, and she ends up dropping all her sports all of a sudden. And, you know, the teacher's calling, the, uh, or the guidance counselor's calling the mom in, and the mom's like, you know, she, you know, she's, uh, you know, she's fine. She's, you know, let her do her. And, like, the mom's kind of trying to figure out what's going on, asking if she's pregnant or on drugs or anything like that. And she's like, no, mom, I'm not. You know? But uh, she ends up meeting this other girl at school who's a new transfer. And, like, that kind of – that ends up playing into later on in the story. But we find out, you know, as we do this, that this girl is uh, 
you know, she's uh, hitting puberty and whatnot. And with such, apparently her uh, quarter, I think quarter vampire blood is kind of kicking in. If she's Blade's daughter and the mother is a human, she's a quarter vampire. Yeah. So, like, her her strength and her reflexes are kicking in. And she's she's hunting vampires at night now. And she ends up going into this old house where she believes there's going to be vampires. And she ends up getting into a fight with this other person. And turns out this other person is Whitney, the girl who she had met, which started at her school that day. And they both believe the other one's a vampire. And at the end, and we find out at the end of the day that... Uh, um, Blade is leaving Wakanda to go back to the U.S. for a little while to find his daughter because the mother has contacted him, letting him know that uh, Brielle is starting to exhibit tendencies of, a, of, of hunting vampires. You know, one of the big things I got out of this was that the, uh, the relationship between Brielle and her mom, you know, her mom's definitely... Uh, kind of kept her in the shadows about what, you know, about her dad to an extent. But we don't, you know, it was more of a, hey, give me time. Then I'm going to hide, you know, hiding stuff from you. She's like, I just got to get everything together to tell you first. So I really, I really dig the uh, the mother-daughter relationship. It was like three quarters mother-daughter relationship. There's there's very little action. Uh, I was crapping on it when we started because I, I, I wanted you know, knock down bloody drag out, you know, blade, but mm-hmm. I, I should have expected, you know, story, ex- uh, you know, character development. And, uh, now you're shining the light on it. Yeah, you're right. This is a great tete-a-tete between mother, daughter, and, uh, a loose relationship with dad. And then, yeah, it, it's, it, it also did, the one thing that did stick out to me before, uh, we started talking about it, was it didn't feel like some crappy teenage book. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, she's got her friends. She's got, you know, there's a little bit of teenage stuff in there, but overall it's more of a, uh, this issue in particular is kind of a mother-daughter story. And uh, I think we're going to get to uh, her reuniting with her father down the road, obviously. And we get the sword. But uh, I think that'll be interesting to see what avenue they choose to take with that once they do. Because there's a, there's a picture of uh, Blade in the um, in, earlier in the story, but that just leads to being like, "Hey, give me time to get everything together, and I'll explain it to you." I just, she's like, "I," she's basically, like, "I need a few days to get it." Right. And the fact that she gives you know this teenage daughter uh, gives that to her, you know, kind of shows the relationship they've had. So it'll be interesting to see what uh what ends up happening with it. I hope they, uh, you know, when DC and Marvel they go back and forth all the time. One rips off the other, you know, for a while. The other one stops, makes better stories. The other place starts ripping them off. Um, mm-hmm. Is I hope they take. I hope the people that wrote this book and are drawing it or creating it just in general uh, have been taking some cues from everything that's been going on in Teen Titans. Okay. Uh, because developing teenagers d- is difficult, especially with something that you and I would be, you know, be interested in. Because you know, like we don't give you know anything to do with teenagers, but the 
what was it, like a year and a half ago, we were we were so full of Teen Titans, man. That book was amazing. Red X, uh, all all of it was mm-hmm. great. And but most of the story was them just learning who they are, and mm-hmm. uh, that's what this was. And I, I love the fact that you know I I, I kind of think that the after everything. Blade showing up might, if they pull this off, if when Blade finally shows up, which we know is going to happen, might be anticlimactic. It it, it might be, no, it, it might steal from the story, like when how upset I was, you know, when I was reading Darkhawk and like, you, dude, we don't need Miles Morales in this. Develop Darkhawk, just yeah, just just keep it going. But uh, I appreciate that uh, that insight on that. Um, that's what I got from that one, man. I, I hated it at first, but I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, you Batman or Flash, because both of them were, were gnarly. Those were so good. No, uh, how about you take the lead on Flash? Go for it. Oh, you want me to take it? Yeah, you can have it. Yeah, Flash. All right, so we've got the one-minute war going on here. Uh, we've got Kid Flash and the alternate Kid Flash that is not officially Kid Flash. That uh, oh, that's uh, Impulse. Impulse, yes, Impulse. Thank you. Uh, I'm terrible with names. Uh, while everyone's you know sitting at uh, Wally's, it's Wally, not Barry, right? I was I. I'm yep, a, it's Wally's it's house. Wally, trying to figure out what's going on, and uh, Impulse takes off, and Kid Flash follows him. And uh, they figure out a way into uh, this giant spike, if that's the best way you can describe it, that is somehow in tune with the speed force and also at the same time able to amplify it and all of their, like, the weapons, speed force. And uh, they break in because they want to figure a way to stop it and they're about to steal one of their like armored tanks that looks like a uh, Star Trek Next Generation uh, shuttle good on them on that mm-hmm. a little bit modified a little bit bigger and uh, they're about to get caught and uh, Impulse take you know takes off and Kid Flash is what, what are you doing like we gotta get out of here we gotta get this 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 one mechanism we that might be able to we up we first use like you know uh against them and they find the the battery packs and from what it i've ascertained that they have people in tune with the speed force that are powering everything and then we've got this awesome tete-a-tete with um the one person that everyone that all our new baddies are scared of is uh oh, ms murder ms murder and uh, what did you think about the uh, Batman Who Laughs design? Because it's definitely Batman Who Laughs design. She doesn't have Robins with her. Mm-hmm. She's, she's got uh, Ghostbusters-esque uh, terror dogs. Speed dogs. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all right. Like It's definitely definitely a Batman Who Laughs homage. And like we've kind of had a lot of that. So it's kind of... It's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do once they actually kind of do something with her. Right. Like, for right now, she's just kind of like... <clears throat> she's just that person that's chasing after them. They haven't really done anything with her yet. So I think hopefully once they do, it'll be pretty awesome. But until they do, I'm kind of on the I'm on the shelf with it. Uh, I'm still on the shelf as well, but I, I kind of feel like they're... Especially with the book started off with Iris, like, not really dead, like in the moment before she dies. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we saw what happened last issue, but I'm, I'm thinking this uh, Ms. Murder is is uh, is the this flash girlfriend who laughs. <clears throat> uh, okay, maybe. Maybe I mean, like, uh, it, it's got to be something someone of somebody similar. Uh, the design is too obvious. Yeah. Too obvious, but I really loved watching Impulse and Kid Flash just get done what they needed to get done and then show back up at the house. And, okay. With their stolen vehicle? Yep, with their stolen vehicle. And, yeah, even our favorite speedsters, established speedsters, uh, blink their eyes. These two boys that they weren't too upset that they went on a little side mission got it done. And uh, I haven't read too much about this DC, like the next, uh, is this a new DC reboot? <laughs> is this a... Oh, down at DC, yeah, they're starting some new books. But yeah, no, you uh, you missed the fact that in the, uh, in the trunk of the vehicle, we've got the frozen versions of what appears to be the Atom, Superman, and Gorilla Grodd. And, uh, Gorilla Grodd. Uh, I was building that. that. That's what I was getting at, like, you know, because we've got... Um, flip a couple pages here now we've got uh we just got uh action comics 1051 and then and we're about to get fit superman number one and dawn of dc and we've got a bunch of new number ones coming up uh luckily none of them are anything that or anything that would really chafe me that they're about to reboot like if nightwing was on this list i'd be very upset (laughs) Uh, but we got yeah. you know, Cyborg, Shazam, Green Arrow. They haven't done anything Green Arrow in a while. Uh, like, really, truly impactful than just being one of the main characters. And, um, yeah, not really since um, since after right after at the end of uh, Doomsday Clock. Doomsday Clock and uh, what was the other one? Um, Lois' dad. We've got Talia involved. It wasn't my favorite story. Um, mm-hmm. But you know what I'm saying here. And, uh, okay, let's get some uh, Adventures of Jonathan Kent, Unstoppable Doom Patrol. Yeah. Do- new Doom Patrol? Show me- Sign me up. Sign me up. Uh, Penguin number one, I would have not been okay with, or let me phrase that, or even cared about until uh, one bad day. Yeah. And speaking of which, we got a. Uh... The next one bad day coming up pretty quick here. We've got our clay face coming up next and then uh, finishing off with Rachel Ghoul. So that'll be awesome. I wanted a Zaz, man. I wanted a Zaz. He might That's be. That's true, man. It would have been nice. All right, what, would you, what would you classify Zaz as? B, C, or D lister? Oh, I would say probably legitimately. I would say C-lister, even with the movie appearance in Birds of Prey. I love Zaz, but he's straight up a C guy. I'm following you on that. Um, Especially since Batman's got such a full, robust uh, villain's gallery. Rogue's gallery, as it were. Yes, sir. And as we talk about good rogue's galleries, uh, I want to go into Dark Web. Um, it's the finale, issue one, which shaped completely just... Like, just say finale. Just tell me it's over. Just, just be done with it. Just tell me it's over. Uh, from what I understand, there are very few unbreakable rules in comic books. Mm-hmm. 
Martha, Thomas Wayne, dead. Okay with Thomas being a different Batman in Flashpoint because they pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Jeff Johns yeah. like kind of blindsided us with that, but um, Uncle Ben stays dead. Mm-hmm. Number three. Unless it's an Edge of Spider-Verse. Uh, well, the, yeah, I get it. And it's different because the multiverse there is just similar to what we're talking about with a Flashpoint. But number mm-hmm. three should be no more clones of Parker. Kill Ben right, Riley buddy. off for good. Kill him off for good. I'm tired of it. Like, it, it, like, it was like... Uh, Colin has told me about first dates he's been on wearing Spider-Man hoodies just to test the girl if they're cool with that. Like, like it was that important to him. And all the clone mm-hmm. stuff just ruined it for him. And uh, last year, I was complaining about Ben Reilly being, like, the main protagonist in Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man. And uh, Parker, you know, laid out in the hospital, and we just had to wait for him to just get better. And yeah, that's the one thing that was our, like, you know, foothold there on that. And then once that happened, they get in a huge fight. Ben's like, give me my memories. Not your memories, dude. We all know it. Um, we all know it. And then he teams up with uh, his girlfriend and uh, Madeline Pryor, uh, head of n- now new head of Limbo. And mm-hmm. uh, they take over New York. And... Um, She's I like the demon, demon hot dog carts. What was that? I like the demon hot dog carts. <sighs> man, this was so bad, man. They, they renamed Riley Chasm when he stole the uh, mystical uh, scythe from from their our goblin queen. And he got bigger and he's got wings. And uh, all Hall of uh, Eve I liked a lot because uh, it, it took a while. But uh, her gimmick was every time she puts a mask on, no matter what it is, she turns into that. Okay. She turns into that, which I thought was red. Absolutely red. Um, but it, it, it's just a complaint fest, you know? Parker is free. He's got uh, the X-Men helping him out. They've restored. Jean Grey has uh, given Madeline Pryor all of her memories back. All of her mm-hmm. memories back. We've got Havoc there as the potential monkey wrench. And uh, it was... One of the lamest books I've ever read. It was the, some of the most strained dialogue. Um, the artwork was gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. And but it it wasn't it wasn't dynamic. Like you, you, if you if you see these, it's very obvious that the person that drew this, uh, if he was or she was using any of the any old examples of comic books. Okay. Definitely use old examples of comic books of how to tell a story. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the angles, like, w- there's so much more to choose for, so much more we've seen. Um, like I said, not bad, but then Madame Pryor, you know, she teams up with the X Men. They call her family. Like, get out of here. <laughs> like, 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 they flat out call her part of the family. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. Like, like we're already talking about resurrecting, like, actual legit people from Genosha and what's going on in the Xbox right now. And granted, this is supposedly before that's that happening. And, um, mm-hmm. no. Don't do that to me. We've got 
Havoc trying to save the day. We've got a lot of great splashes. <coughs> we got the Golden Goblin. Um, tired old lines. Uh, he's getting choked out. And uh, Spidey. And uh, he's Herc. In the end, I have everything and you have nothing. There are some things you can't steal from a man, Ben. Like his friends. I'm like, oh, come on, man. This isn't Fast and the Furious. Like, like, like we, we paid $5 for this. <laughs> like, um, Oh, no, you paid $5 for this. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, I, I, read, I, read the, uh, I read the first issue of uh, freaking Dark Web, and I read the, uh, the X-Men tie-ins because I, I, I like Madeline Pryor and the whole Herd Havoc thing. It's cool. That was great, well, yeah, especially in Hellions. They were decent. Uh, was that Hellions or was that... Um, yeah, it was in Hellions, yeah. Yeah, that's how they finished Hellions, right? Near, near, mm, near the talent. Yeah, they resurrected her at the end. Well, all of a sudden she levels up out of nowhere and becomes the Goblin Queen and all, all the people and demons in Limbo that are now trying to evade New York. Like, oh my God. Yeah, she's, she's always been the Goblin Queen, but... Uh, yeah, but she yeah, levels... Apparently Magic freaking gave her the keys to Limbo some... some it was, it was probably in New Mutants, because I haven't read that one yet. She's got a version of the Soul Sword, and uh, but she levels up out of nowhere. Like, there's no mm-hmm. there's no good explanation. All of a sudden, she went from Madeline Pryor, and then, boom, fire everywhere. I'm the Goblin Queen. Everyone kneels to her. Uh, she commands everyone back into limbo, and she makes a deal with the X-Men that she will control Purgatory... In a way that it is a livable, uh, habitable society. And then mm-hmm. we end with uh, Ben Rally in captivity. Spidey keeps visiting him. He's mad. That's not even the best way to say it. it he was, he's lamely mad. But now we have a purgatory, uh, UN-style... Um, <laughs> like, like, ambassador safe haven in New York. This giant hellish thing with bats flying around. Limbo Embassy to New York. and But don't forget, she's family. Because you know those mutants are so freaking forgiving. <laughs> and Because uh, uh, no, they, I mean, they did forgive Apocalypse, Magneto, Mr. Sinister until he killed half of them. Um, so, I mean, they are forgiving. I, I can see that. That's that's the point, man. No, every time anyone betrayed them, Apocalypse got away. I mean, he did right. But uh, you're going to tell me that Spider-Man's teaming with the Goblin Queen and we've got Bush League stories here that Jean Grey would ever give Madeline Pryor all her memories back? Get out of here. Absolutely. Eh, I can see that one. I, th- I think the memories thing makes sense because, like, it doesn't, it doesn't take away from Jean Grey. Like, that seems like Jean Grey all the way like freaking i think the i think it's kind of lame that it took all this to get to that point like it was kind of a it was kind of a weak ending because it was like hey all you do is ask yeah but even like i think i think the story i think the story was fun i didn't mind it no woman it wasn't it wasn't like she wanted the like she wanted the memories of when Gene was raising baby Cable. Yeah. I get it. Like, it's cool. Like, it doesn't mean that she doesn't have them. It just means that they're both have them now. 
I don't think in any universe that Jean Grey would ever sacrifice or in any way put in jeopardy her relationship with Scott, especially giving all these loving memories back to a woman. Maybe to win the battle. Uh, the thing was, like I said, they both have it, though. So it's not, she's not losing anything. She's just sharing it. Maybe to win the battle, but I would have erased her mind immediately. Because you can't trust men in prior. She, she's notorious. Like, you, like, she's one of the few characters you know is going to go crazy and do something bad. Yeah. But I, I guess I guess he gave him the memory. I think that makes I think that makes the most sense, really. Well, just to win the battle. Like for Jean Grey. Jean, like Jean Even should have, Jean like, should have eradicated her the second everything was over. <laughs> nah, Jean's. Not, I mean, Jean's not known for just murdering people, though. I, I, I except when she's a phoenix. But, except when but, she's the phoenix. Yeah. Except when she's the except phoenix. When she, except when she. Except when she commits genocide. Uh, but it was just one time. Yeah. This this fell so flat. And we were on such a roll with uh, Ramita pulling mm-hmm. up the the pencils on this, and all of a sudden we get this story out of nowhere. Like if the only like saving grace was, I'm hoping that they did this story for the past two months to give Ramita a chance to get caught up in his pencils, and we get ten more issues out of him, or one more issue. Yeah. I like it, this was bad. No more clones yeah. in Spider Man. No, I, I can definitely agree with that. You know, we're still kind of bitter about the 90s. But yeah, I don't think it was necessarily out of character for Jean Grey. But I do think it was kind of like the She-Hulk TV show where, like, the last episode was kind of a flat ending. It was. It definitely could ending. have been a better ending. Yeah, there was a lot of missed opportunities. A lot. But I don't. I didn't see missed opportunities in this one. I saw just more like, just make it end. <laughs> I'm paying for this. Just, I'm holding it in my hands. Just. Make it stop. <laughs> Let's get back to yeah. some Spidey. Um, Agreed. Dealer's Choice on Batman. Is that our last one for tonight? Yeah, that's the last one for tonight. Now we got that one and we got Legion. Oh, yeah, Legion. Uh, yeah, you take you take point on Legion, man. All right, we got uh, Legion of X. You know, for as much as I was kind of praising... Um, uh, Brielle's mom in uh, freaking in Bloodline um, you know, about to rag on freaking some parenthood on Professor X because he might be the worst dad ever he's definitely the worst dad ever like we had a conversation like last week about it like like I, I couldn't believe I couldn't believe this yeah so we've got this whole thing here on the astral plane with a the phalanx has basically figured out how to um, get onto the astral plane, which is kind of insane in its own right. And Professor X has gone in to visit his son Legion to see what he's been doing. Him and his uh, his girlfriend uh, blindfold. And while Professor X got there, he instantly, as soon as he walked through the astral plane, he um, basically put something into his son, which took him out of action. And literally, yeah, literally right after that, freaking the phalanx shows up to, uh, apparently all now this, all this AI can freaking get on the astral plane. And freaking at the same time, you know, we've got this group. Let's see, which group is this? 
We've got a Banshee with the uh, Possessed by the Power variants and Juggernaut and Marionette and Forget-Me-Not. And they're trying to save Krakoa because they've captured Warlock. And they're going to use Warlock to basically take over Krakoa on the physical physical plane. And freaking um, Banshee ends up basically um, the Power of Variance, which is an offshoot of the uh, Power of Ven- or the Spirit of Vengeance. Basically there. starts riding freaking Juggernaut as like his steed, basically. And they end up freaking barreling through these freaking sentinels that are basically being possessed and break through um, to find, you know, basically where Kako is at with Warlock. And Warlock's got this piece in him that is basically possessing him and making him take over uh, Krakoa. And everybody's trying to get through all the Sentinels to get to Warlock. But we end up seeing that Forget-Me-Not is able to get through because every, his mutant power is that everyone forgets him when they can't see him. Right. And apparently even the, the Sentinels. Even the Sentinels. And, yeah, and we find out that um, he, him and Marionette had been on some dates earlier. And she can remember him when she's got this earpiece in that Forge has created. And unfortunately, the uh, the earpiece falls out. And But Forget-Me-Not is able to get to the part uh, to pull the piece out of Warlock, which ends up killing Warlock as well as Forget-Me-Not. Is that whose skull was it in the cave at the end? That's like I read this really fast. Um, yeah, it was Forget Me Not Skull. But yeah, the Warlock ended up dying as much as he can die. And, uh, you know, as they're walking away with uh, Cypher, who's just messed up because basically his soul was ripped out of him because of his connection with Warlock. They're like, well, you know, at least nobody died today. And they see the, you know, the smoking skull of Forget-Me-Not. Right. And the whole thing sucks because they can't resurrect Forget-Me-Not because nobody remembers who he is. I never realized that. Like, Chucky didn't have no backup because he didn't care to. And not not on Krakoa. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he's gone. But, yeah, no, going back to the astral plane, like I said, we realized that, uh, like, Charles not only basically put his son, took his son out of action while all this insanity is going on in the astral plane, he ends up abandoning him, but then coming back because he just couldn't leave his son. And he realized that for the first time in his life, his son isn't a complete and utter screw-up. And he didn't realize what his son was actually doing or dealing and with. how much, yeah, how much his son was dealing with. He just always realized that his son was bad and wrong. And always makes mistakes. And, and always makes mistakes. But he never cared to actually try to see things from his son's point of view. He just always knew his son had all these things going on in him, inside of him that freaking racially broke his mind. And his dad, the greatest telepath in the world, 
couldn't be bothered to look at things from his son's point of view. But we end up having this uh, character called Mother Righteous, who I believe debuted at the first Legion of X. And she's looking, she's behind a lot of this stuff on the astral plane. And at the very end of the issue, she ends up finding Nightcrawler, who had been attacked by, I'm trying to remember what her actual name is, uh, Margala Zardos. And it's been kind of mutated even further into even more of a devil. And this character takes her mask off. And we see on her face that she's got a heart. And this heart makes her the fourth clone of Sinister. 100%. And so this... now we have all four clones of Sinister in play. And we also so. have the biblical story. He's being tested. Like he was like like uh, rewind to like his true purpose on Krakoa was to establish the religion, and now mm-hmm. now he has horns. Now he has made some uh, uh, not too many mistakes, nothing egregious, but now he's being tempted by the devil. Oh. Um. Uh, put in perspective, I was listening to a lecture by Jordan Peterson the other day, and he was talking about the um, about the Bible and that uh, Sodom and Gomorrah can basically mm-hmm. be anything, just an overly corrupt city. Like it's just, it's just completely overrun. But like with just loose moral ethics, you know, like 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 worse than Gotham times a million. Uh, it's not about that that city might not have actually existed, but the idea that when something like that gets so corrupt, like nature was going to, nature will eliminate it. And yeah, we've got a lot of that going on with the X-Men just on earth alone, not alone, Morocco or, um, Mars or whatever you want to call it. And now he's being tested and, it's one of the, you know, I was raised Catholic. Um, I'm not a practicing Catholic, hundred uh, percent. It still remains true and blue to my heart. But um, someone that needs to establish a religion is going to get tested, and here it is. A hundred percent, and we'll see how it goes, man. Uh, haven't liked anything of the past. I want to say maybe like eight, nine months of X Men, except for when we started with uh, Sins of Sinister. And I'm really excited for this, man. Not Legion of X has been quiet. Like, Legion of X and Mortal X Men have both been really solid. You know, we got both the uh, both the main characters, Legion of X, Nightcrawler, and Legion, down for the count at the end of this issue. And it's going to be in both with the possible parental factors in play there. So it'll be real interesting to see what happens once both of them come to and see how they want to handle this. Because we got a lot more going on. <laughs> we got a lot more going mm-hmm. on. Uh, it, it says it says specifically this happens before since the sinister, so at least they gave us that because they yeah. they don't always 
like if one main story is going on and another one hasn't wrapped up yet, um, or they don't even bother to wrap it up, like with uh, X Factor. Um, yeah. All right, let's have some fun. Screw it, CS Men. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Well, I think with Sins of Sinister, Legion of X is going to become Nightcrawlers anyway. So we'll uh, hopefully this week we'll see what happens with that. I was surprised that they did two books about about something so similar. Like uh, I, I would have really enjoyed if they had just combined them and told the story in conjunction the way that they like like we're, like we're about to go into Batman. Um, like the the this is like one of the B stories I, I've read in the past like I don't want to say ten years where the B story was amazing and actually helped add to the story. I mean, like, there's been some, especially during, like, uh, Fear State, where the B story was decent. Mm-hmm. But this is the first B story I really, really popped for. Um, I'm done I'm done with that one, man. You got anything left? Yeah, no, I'm good, man. Hey, let's just finish up with some Batman 132. 132, man. Uh, loving the fact that Harvey is not in control. Yeah. Not in control. We've got these uh, nemesis-looking guys, specifically uh, Mark Millar nemesis-looking guys. Um, Red Mass. Obviously, there's we're, there's no accidents uh, when it comes to mm-hmm. uh, depictions. Um, whether you want to do Red X or Red Hood or uh, whatever you pick, but I mean, like uh, Harvey's eyes when he's like told, like freaking, you better. You got to get this together. But did you notice on... All right, so when we first get to his throne room, we've got a bunch of dead people here after um, Mm -hmm. Bruce has uh, started to slowly learn uh, Julia's story and relate to her and realizing this is his probably his alter world uh, Robin. And uh, what what do they call... It's Julia, but uh, they call her... um, Is that Jules? Let's see... Yeah, Jewel. Jewel. Mm-hmm. Jewel. And, you know, he doesn't want to take him to the Robin, but it's looking like it's going to happen. And we see Trent Page, and we see Harvey on a throne. A bunch of dead people there. Obviously, he's been feeding on something. Uh, mm-hmm. Blood on each neck, and he's huge and bulky like Bane. But we get a slight look at him when these uh, Red Hood nemesis-looking guys walk in. On the next page, when he's getting out of the chair, and he's tiny. He went from big to tiny. So quick. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like showing some frailty there. Like, like we're talking probably 280. Um, I mean, who would you compare uh, this Harvey Dent to uh, wrestling-wise? Well, well wrestling-wise, it's just he's, he's vain, basically. That's the whole thing, is that these people are being basically controlled by venom correct that's the thing on the back of his neck yeah but then but then know, in, is... in one in one scene he goes from bane like standing up tall facing mm-hmm. these guys and if we get that little button tack and all of a sudden he looks like gilbert yeah Just that's great. the whole thing that's how they control him they're using him as a they're controlling the people they want to control and then they're Throwing everybody who is they deem crazy, who's not listening to them in Arkham, and they disappear. And that's these people are people who are in charge of Arkham Asylum. 
and that's the the story so far. You know, we find out that uh, that's basically how they control you. They're running through fear. Now they talk later about how there's a fear gas that's running through the city at all times, and so much so that they've developed a drug to keep a uh, keep it out of your system. Right. You know, Batman, Bruce Wayne's trying to figure out who he's got. You know, Bruce Wayne's dead in this universe, and he just have, he figures out he's got to t- trying to figure out who he's going to talk to to try to help this situation, and then eventually get back to his own world. And then we get Selena. <laughs> yep. So he ends up walking into this uh, party for billionaires because the one thing he's got going for him is that he's been so fake his whole life he can pull it off and they're looking for this guy who runs uh he's looking for this guy by the name of halliday halliday who is the one that's making these uh this medication that's helping you making sure you're helping people escape the, the freaking fear gas you know bruce comes in under this uh this alias and is trying to you know, meet and you know, meet people he can, and then he turns around and there's this universe's version of Selena, and she instantly recognizes him as Bruce Wayne. So much so that it, you know, he's off guard because he's you know off his game because of it. I like how at the same time he's. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You got excited. I apologize. All good. You know, he's over here trying to, you know, keep his composure, keep his cool. But at the same time, it's Selena. And, you know, as we all know, it's always Selena. Always Selena. Like, you, even though she's a different Batman, like, she's irresistibly, <laughs> irresistibly attracted to fight or uh, other other side there. How, yeah. did, how did you feel about... Pennyworth here before we get to the ending. Well, it's interesting to see that this this reality's Pennyworth still alive, let alone in a relationship with Leslie Tompkins. And apparently he's got a you know, from the earlier from the beginning of this uh, issue, we find out that he's rich. And I kinda wonder if he's gonna end up being Halliday when all's said and done. I was thinking that. But we also have a lot of, like, City of Bane, like, we launched into City of Bane so quickly, I don't even remember how it even started. It, all of a sudden, it just started. That, that, that's how it felt to me uh, when City okay. of Bane happened. And now we've got um, the Lazarus Resin World, and um, we just finished... Uh, I don't know if they actually finished it because it was like, what, three issues with, you know, Batman versus Robin. Uh, but then, of course, Batman, you know, got blasted to smithereens in, uh, by some alien gun. It, it, there's a loose tie here. Um, I'm thinking, I'm hoping you're right, but what if this is how they bring Pennyworth back? It very well could be. Like, Getting blasted into different dimensions. Um, granted, what we saw with Bane snapping his ne- neck, which was arguably uh, maybe one or two tiers down, as upsetting as um, 
Bane bringing Batman's back, which was meant to be exciting. Um, mm-hmm. But we've got people in different dimensions. Uh, the only reason I'm calling it is because of the look on his face when he sees Bruce for the first time. He like yeah. you mentioned that Selena called him out immediately. That's you're Bruce. It's cool. Um, but the the look on Pennyworth's face at this same party, um, the expressions that they're doing so well here, especially when you see um, Napier. Uh, well, they don't really call him Napier. Like you just want to like we've we've never really gotten definitive like who Joker is outside of Joker. Um, mm-hmm. The expressions here are, are just phenomenal, but uh, I landed square on, like, the look of horror and questioning that Pennyworth had when he took one look at Bruce. And I didn't think it was a, oh, my God, it's Bruce Wayne. Maybe my memories are true. But that's a far-reach uh, armchair book in which, you know, I usually frown upon. Uh, but I... I like I say, as we wind down here, I, I, they killed Pennyworth off, but it didn't hit me as hard because I know in my heart they're gonna they're gonna bring him back. There can't be Batman without without Pennyworth. Period. Yeah. His absence has been one of the major veins in so many different stories since it happened. But I, I. I you know, they've never really truly killed him off. And it's been, what, three years? It's been about three years, and, um... I don't know. I'm sure booking, I apologize. I got excited. Very good. Yeah, no, but uh, Batman is a fighting Selena, fighting Punchline, Killer Croc shows up, dressed to the nines. Totally. Uh, Batman's... Batman disposes of Killer Croc, kicking him out a window while he's on fire, because he'll live. And that's when he spots Alfred. And in all honesty, I thought it was basically like because in freaking in you know in the regular DC continuity, you know Bruce is Alfred's dead. I think in this in this picture here, the fact that Bruce Wayne's dead in this reality, I think Alfred realizes that this Bruce that is Bruce and that's why he has that look on his face I love it and he's just shocked I love it just bring him back you know (laughs) yeah cops end up shooting Bruce Wayne he ends up falling out the window with you know getting shot in the shoulder freaking uh he ends up you know getting some uh you know saving himself by tying a rope to a piece of metal out there. And, you know, he's, as he looks up, there's Selena right there. And he's like, this isn't my Selena, but she's a Selena. And she lets him, she lets him live. Basically she could have cut the wire and she doesn't, but he ends up crashing through a, through a roof of another building and running outside of the, you know, making his escape while he's talking to us, the skeleton, Jim Gordon, and he ends up walking walking into a police officer about to beat on this woman. And even though he is broken and battered, he fights this cop off. And then the issue and this part of the issue ends 
with him making the same vow he made in the first Batman issue where he's like, I shall become a bat. And he's apparently going to become Batman in this reality and try to fix this reality before he goes back, or at least while he's looking for a way back. This one had been stopped in my tracks a few times, uh, like we previously discussed, uh, but at the same time, I didn't realize the decision. You're you're right. Like I was more focused on the uh, trench coated ghoul that you know disappears. That, from all my accounts, uh, specific to him, uh, reminds me of uh, there was a couple of deleted scenes that never uh, aired in the Crow. But in the original story, uh, when he was daydreaming about being back with his wife again, um, or a future wife, um, there was a, a ghoul just like this. He just had a hat on. Just like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, he dreamt he was in a train waiting to meet his wife, and then he starts daydreaming about good good memories, and uh, this guy shows up, except, like I said, with a hat, and says, don't go there, boy, you don't want to do it. You, you don't want to do it. So, but the pledge, I always forget about the pledge because it, it was a child doing it. It was always so kind of, um, and, well, I guess, you know, childish, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be a bat. I'm going to, you know, travel across the world, but he already has the skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, now we'll see what happens before he goes back to, his reality. B story here really liked. We've got um, uh, Tim Drake trying to figure out what's going on, where Batman disappeared to after that explosion, which, I'm, like I mentioned earlier, I'm still a little confused how that all ties in together. Um, but anytime you give him Mr. Terrific, I love it. Give us some Mr. Terrific Ooh. and, you know. Uh, what's it, this, this guy's the toy maker? Toy man. Toy man. Yeah, I'm not too... Toy too, man. Too familiar. Not toy boy, toy man. Toy man. Like the story. Um, you'll probably get the gist of what's going on later. You don't have to read that part. I mean, but at the same time, you bought it. Just read it. And uh, Don DC's coming up. We've got Ant-Man. Is it... Uh, how soon until night? Ant-Man? Uh, to next week, week and a half. That would be... Ooh, 17, if I remember correctly. This is telling me June 29th. Yeah, thinking, it's wrong. We're thinking of a different movie. Ant-Man Quantumania? Oh, yeah, that's 25th. Should be February 17th. That was uh, originally, man, from 2015. Oh, gotcha. But yeah, uh, freaking Tim Drake realizes that uh, yeah, the gun good. that shot Batman displaced him in a different reality because uh, apparently the Toy Man's creating these robots that um, and utilizes the same the same gun to shoot them into a different reality, and he goes and finds them thanks to. Mr. Terrific in a terrific suit. It's a, it's and a he ends, he ends up, terrific suit. Yeah, he ends up finding uh, this freaking storage unit, basically, 
and he opens it up and all the people that have been turned into toy man's robots are locked in there and he turns around and toy man's shooting at him and like you don't belong here you're not one of my toys But yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, you don't really get a good, uh, good toy man story very often. So, never read a. I don't think I've ever read a toy man story. I know of him, but uh, mm-hmm. if this builds to it, it, it's it it's connecting enough from so many books that we've invested in that I'm not too mad about it. Uh, other than the fact that Mister Terrific Suit is blatant rip off some Tron, which I guess is fine. <laughs> but uh, that's what we got. Um, best books I've read this you know uh, this week a couple of uh, runner-ups Blood Tree uh, uh, by uh, Peter J. Tomasi it was decent art was great Um, freaking Savage Dragon is back that one was actually a lot of fun 263 um well, longest running independent comics ever. Scarlet Witch just confused me. Um, actually, just bored me. Uh, it was Silver Surfer that confused me. I don't, I don't know enough about Silver Surfer. Uh, every book of Silver Surfer should have like a a link to a definitive Wikipedia page. This is what you need to know before you read this t- this book. Like, <laughs> gotcha. It's it's up there. It's there's a heightened sense of literacy you have to have in order and and knowledge of silver surfer to really truly enjoy it but it it wasn't bad it was actually great uh my silver surfer knowledge comes from mr colin but uh i think that's all the books i had for this week man um read a lot but Avengers was garbage. I took a chance to Miles Morales, like you said, and it was it was all right. I, it's just it doesn't feel as impactful. Yeah, I liked it fine. It was it was good. It wasn't wasn't anything to write home about, but it was solid. Yeah, well, that's what I got for today, man. Anything you got left? No, no, man. I think we're good, man. I think it's about time to call it a night. We can get ready to start the day tomorrow. Yeah. There are more comics to be had. There are more deals to be brokered. That is correct. Go see Mr. Ed this weekend. Uncle Ed. Freaking raid the uh, storage unit. And um, just get it done. March 11th. Whose turn is it? I'll take it tonight, man. This is minefields. This is dangerous. This transmission is over. March 11th, New Era. Buy some tickets. NewEraProWrestling.com just click the link. It's all there. We love you. Tell a phone, tell a friend, tell a wrestler. We're out. Later days.